So today we are reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Creation, Chapter 4, The Appearance of Sri Narada, Text 14. Sutta Uvacha Dwapare Samona Nuprapte Tritiye Yugaparyaye Jata Parasarad Yogi Vasavyam Kalyahare Sutta Uvacha Dvapare Samanu Prapte Tritiye Yuga Pariyaye Jata Parasharad Yogi Vasavyam Kalayahare Sutta, Sutta Goswami, Uvacha, said, Pare, in the second millennium, Samuna, Samanu Prapte, on the advent of, Tritiye, third, Yuga, Millennium, Pariyaya, in the place of, Jataha, was begotten, Parasarat, by Parasara, Yogi, the great sage, Vasavyam, in the womb of the daughter of Vasu, Kaliya, in the plenary portion, Hare, of the personality of Godhead. Translation and purport by A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. Sutta Goswami said, when the second millennium overlapped the third, the great sage Vyasadev was born to Parasara in the womb of Satyavati, the daughter of Vasu. Purport. There is a chronological order of the four millenniums, namely Satya, Dwarpa, Treta, and Kali. But sometimes there is overlapping. During the regime of Vaivasvata Manu, there was an overlapping of the 28th round of the four millenniums, and the third millennium appeared prior to the second. In that particular millennium, Lord Sri Krishna also descends, and because of this, there was some particular alteration. The mother of the great sage was Satyavati, the daughter of the Vasu, fisherman, and the father was the great Parasharamuni. That is the history of Yasudev's birth. Every millennium is divided into three periods, and each period is called a sandhya. Vyasadeva appeared in the third sandhya of that particular age. Omagyana Tibrandasya Janajana Shalakaya Chakshuro Nimitam Jena Tasmai Shri Guruve Namaha. 
I was born in the darkest ignorance, and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Shri Chaitanya Manovistam Sapitam Jena Bhutale Swayam Rupa Kadamayam Tadatitswapadantikam When will Sri La Rupa Goswami Prabhupada, who has established within this material world the mission to fulfill the desire of Lord Chaitanya, give me shelter under his feet? Vancha Kalpa Tarubhyascha Kripasindubhayevasha Patitanam Pavanebhyo Vaishnavebhyo Namonamaha I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnava devotees of the Lord. They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone. And they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shri Vasadi Gaurabhaktivrinda I offer my respectful obeisances unto Shri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Nityananda, Shri Advaita, Gadadhar Pandit, Shri Thakur, and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So today we'll discuss the day of Brahma, the significance of Vyasadeva's appearance, and what that means for our spiritual progress today. So... According to Chaitanya Charita Amrita Adilila 3.7, we know that there are four ages, yugas, namely Satya, Treta, Dwarpara, and Kali. And these four together constitute one Divya Yoga. So the four yugas are Satya Yuga, which is 1,728,000 years um, long. Treta Yuga is... 1,296,000 years long. And these are in human year, years. Dwarpa Yuga is 864,000 years. And Kali Yuga is 432,000 years. So it's a total of 4,320,000 years. <clears throat> so that makes up one Divya Yoga. And... Um, if we read on in Bhagavad Gita 8.17, it says, By human calculation, a thousand ages taken together is the duration of Brahma's one day, and such also is the duration of his night. So a thousand of these Divya Yogas is one day of Brahma, and the same is one night. So one day of Brahma is 43 million, let me see if I'm doing that right, 432 million years um, long. Because, nope, I'm still doing that wrong. 4,320,000,000 years long. So that's just one day, and then his night's the same. So if we think about that number, I mean, even just if we think about the day, and that's a thousand of those days are just one day of the life of Brahma, that's a really long day. And it almost seems like Brahma is eternal. I mean, compared to humans, his life is very long. But in comparison to the entire spiritual world, it's just a flash of time. So if we read on, the way time is set in um, the Vedas, 
And Chaitanya Charitamrita Adilila 3.8 continues to say, 71 Divya Yogas constitute one Manvantara, and there are 14 Manvantaras in the day of Brahma. So there are 14 Manus that oversee 71 Divya Yogas each, and each of those um, time periods in which one Manu oversees is called a Manvantara. So the present Manu, so we're reading on um, Adilila 3.9, the present Manu, who is the seventh, is called Vaivasvata. He's the son of Vivasvan. Twenty-seven Divya Yugas of his age have now passed. So we are in the 28th Yuga. So this is the 28th time in the life of Vaivasvata Manu that we are um, going through Kali Yuga. In Srimad Bhagavatam 3.11.34, it says, The 100 years of Brahma's life are divided into two parts, the first half and the second half. The first half of the duration of Brahma's life is already over, and the second half is now current. So we're currently in the first day of Brahma's 51st year of life. So he's halfway done with his entire lifespan. And then in Adilila 3.6, um, it says, once in a day of Brahma, Krishna descends to this world to manifest his transcendental pastimes. So of all the Divya Yugas, and we know that there's a thousand during the whole day, only once does Krishna come. And we're so fortunate that we happen to live in this cycle of Divya Yuga in which Krishna has come. And whenever Krishna comes in Dwarpa Yuga. Um, let me see. Oh, it says in Adilila 3.10, at the end of Dwarpa Yuga, of the 28th Divya Yuga, Lord Krishna appears on earth with the full paraphernalia of his entire eternal Vrajadama, Dharma. Vrajadam, sorry. And whenever Krishna appears... Lord Chaitanya appears in Kali Yuga. So he, Lord Chaitanya only comes after Krishna comes. And he only comes once in the day of Brahma. So again, when we're in this 28th cycle of the Divya Yugas of the day of Brahma, it's a very fortunate one because we get to have the golden years of Krishna being here on earth. Um, 5,000 years ago, and Lord Chaitanya being here on earth 500 years ago. In Chaitanya Lila Adi Lila, in Chaitanya Charitamrita Adi Lila 3.14, Lord Chaitanya says, or Krishna says, for a long time I have not bestowed unalloyed loving service to me upon the inhabitants of the world. Without such loving attachment, the existence of the material world is useless. He goes on to read, say, Everywhere in the world people worship me according to scriptural injunctions, but simply by following such regulative principles, one cannot attain the loving sentiments of the devotees in Brajabhumi. Knowing my opulences, the whole world looks upon me with awe and veneration. The devotion made feeble by such reverence does not attract me. So he goes on to say in 3.19, I shall personally inaugurate the religion of the age, Namas and Kirtan, the congregational chanting of the holy name. 
I shall make the whole world dance in ecstasy, realizing the four mellows of loving devotional service. So this is our great fortune in that we are here in the time of Lord Chaitanya in which he's brought the religion of the age, which is congregational chanting of the holy name. And that's all we have to do to realize Krishna, to, to realize our eternal position. And sometimes that's not so easy to understand because this time concept is very vast and very vague. It's abstract almost. And to think that, you know, we're 28 out of a thousand, we're not even like in the morning, mid-morning of, you know, we're probably just about at the mid-morning of Lord Brahma's day. Um... No, I don't even think there. I think we're just at the dawn of Lord Brahma's day. And in that small time period of the entire Divya Yuga, the Satya Yuga, Treta Yuga, Dwarpara Yuga, and Kali Yuga, you know, we're just kind of beginning Kali Yuga, and it's almost like, you know, Lord Chaitanya just appeared a few hours ago in relation to the whole time span of the day of Brahma. So we're still reaping these benefits that Lord Chaitanya has come. And he came with this idea that just knowing scripture alone isn't enough. And that's not what um, satisfies Krishna. And that's not what satisfies us. What satisfies both Krishna and us is that loving devotional service that we have with each other. So I'll speak more about this in a, in a little bit. But I'm going to continue on about the yugas, and um, the day of Brahma. So each yuga has a transitional period at the beginning and end of each yuga. The end transitional period, the final Sunday of Dwarpara Yuga, is when Vyasadeva appears. Vyasadeva is an empowered incarnation of Krishna and Vishnu, and he's empowered with knowledge. He... Um, some other uh, background about Vyasadeva. He's the father of um, Dhritarashtra, who's the father of the Kurus, Duryodhan. Um, and he's also the father of the Pandus. Or he's the father of Pandu, who's the father of the Pandavas. So he's the, the grandfather of the Kurus and the Pandavas who are engaged in battle in the Mahabharata and in the Bhagavad Gita. He's also the father of Vidura and Sukadev Goswami. And Sukadev Goswami is the um, sage who speaks the Srimad Bhagavatam to Maharaj Parikshit. So in the previous ages, in Satya Yuga, in Dwarpa Yuga, and Treta Yuga, people had perfect memories. They would hear this spiritual knowledge once from their spiritual master, and they would have it memorized. I mean, it's in their brain, and it's not just memorized, they realize it, and they internalize it, and they're able to um, reflect upon it, and um, teach on it, just by hearing it once. So that was the power of their memory during those ages. In Kali Yuga, our memory is not so strong, and Vyasadeva, knowing this, 
um, appear to compile the Vedas, to record it in writing so that the knowledge would not be lost. Because our memory is not so strong anymore, we can no longer uphold the oral tradition of passing down this this knowledge from guru to disciple. It has to be passed down now in writing. So Vyasadeva doesn't actually come up with these stories and... You know, like we think of a writer now, writers now come up with a story and they think of, oh, this is a hero and they take him on the hero's journey and, um, you know, we'll see they have some conflict and some resolution and they learn and they grow and then the, everybody lives happily ever after and somebody puts that story together. But Vyasadeva is not doing that. He's recording history. He's just writing it down. He's kind of like the, the person taking dictation and he's taking dictation from the Lord himself. Um, and he's writing down the histories of the world. He's writing down the Vedas. So originally the Vedas appeared as one, and he separated the Vedas into four to make them easier to comprehend. Um, and these are the Rig Veda, the Yajur Veda, Sama Veda, and Atharva Veda. He also then wrote the 18 Puranas, which includes the Mahabharata and the Bhagavad Gita. And he also wrote the Vedanta Sutra and the Upanishads. But after writing all of these, he felt incomplete. He felt unsatisfied. Later we'll read in 1431, Vyasadeva felt that this may be because I did not specifically point out the devotional service of the Lord, which is dear both to perfect beings and to the infallible Lord. So he writes all of these um, massive texts and, you know, he puts it all down in writing and he feels like he still hasn't captured the essence of the Vedas. Um, he feels like each section, you know, it really helps people to live materially, to succeed, to thrive. And it's important to know these things because, you know, the Vedas are there. to They're like the manual for human life. You know, if we want to progress in, in a certain field or be successful in business or in marriage or in um, charity or in family life, all of that information is in the Vedas. How to be healthy, how to um, live your life in, a, in such a way that you live a healthy life, that's also in the Vedas. So you felt like this information is important but it wasn't enough, and if he just left it at this, it would be that people would think that this is all they need to do, and there is no importance of God realization or God consciousness. So feeling this um, dissatisfaction, he was contemplating what needed to be done, and that's when Narada Muni comes. And under the instruction of and guidance of his spiritual master, Narada Muni, Vyasadeva then compiles the Srimad Bhagavatam, which is the essence of the Vedas, and it's full of narrations of transcendental activities of the personality of Godhead. So, even though he had already um, compiled so many scriptures, he felt dissatisfied. And in the purport of Srimad Bhagavatam 1, 432, Srila Prabhupada states, he felt dissatisfaction because in none of his works were the transcendental activities of the Lord properly explained. The inspiration was infused by Sri Krishna directly in the heart of Vyasadeva, and thus he felt the vacuum as explained above. 
It is definitely expressed herewith that without the transcendental loving service of the Lord, everything is void. But in the transcendental service of the Lord, everything is tangible without any separate attempt at fruitive work or empiric philosophical speculation. And, you know, if we remember from before what I had said about Lord Chaitanya appearing, it's pretty much the same reason. He came because, you know, there's all these regulations in the Vedas and how to live our lives and how to um, pray and serve Krishna, but it really didn't talk about that essential love and being um, a devotee of Krishna, where everything you do is for Krishna and... um, you, all you do is think about Krishna and how you can please Krishna and what will Krishna think about this. And, you know, if we think about, like, whenever we, you know, quote-unquote, fall in love, it's kind of the same thing. We think about the other person all the time. Will they like this? Oh, I'm, you know, if I make this dish for them, will they like it? If we go out here, will they have fun? So we're kind of thinking about pleasing them. And it's it's similar to that when we're talking about Krishna, but it's, like, magnified a thousandfold. Because Krishna is the supreme, he's the absolute, and that love between us and Krishna is so pure and so potent that nothing really can compare to it. And that's what we want to really um, get in touch with. And so, you know, that's what the entire Srimad Bhagavatam is about, is how to get in touch with that. And the Bhagavad Gita is also about that. You know, in 9.27, Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, O son of Kunti, all that you do, all that you eat, all that you offer and give away, as well as all austerities that you perform, should be done as an offering unto me. And actually, we see a very similar verse in the Bible. And 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So even in whatever job we have, it could be some mundane job at a factory or sweeping or being a doctor um, at a clinic in which, you know, it seems like it's very hard to imagine these activities being service to Krishna. But when we serve um, and we keep this idea that we are doing everything for Krishna, it automatically becomes service. And, you know, the money that we earn, if we're using that to maintain ourselves and we're devotees, maintain our family of devotees, you know, maybe we're making some donations to the temple, um, these kinds of things, they're actually service. So even the even if, like, you're not thinking, oh, this job that I'm doing, I'm doing it for Krishna, but the money that you're earning from the job you're using it to maintain the devotees, which includes yourself. So that, again, becomes service to Krishna. And all becomes an offering. And then, you know, and then other ways that we can engage is, especially like I know for me when I'm talking to a patient um, and I'm, you know, educating them, explaining to them what their disease means, how it means, affects their body, and what they can do to improve their health and improve their outcomes, you know, that's my duty. That's what I have to do is I educate them. 
Now, whether or not they take that advice and, and do what I advise them to, that's really not something I have control over. I can do my best to explain it to them um, and hopefully explain it to them in a way that inspires them to make changes. But I can't force anybody to make changes. And that the changes that they make or don't make are not... Um, don't change my service in any way. So we want to engage in service according to our skills and talents and use our skills as an offering to Krishna. You know, when we go back and we look at um, our current Veda Vyas and his compilation of history, I mean, you know, he did just record history, but he did it in such a way that it was poetry. It flowed. It's beautiful. The message, you know, the, what he's trying to convey is conveyed, but it's done in a beautiful poem, you know, that's many thousands of verses long. Um, so that was his talent, right? He was a poet. He was able to write for long hours, and he used that towards Krishna. So it's the same thing. We have to use our skills as an offering to Krishna. We also want to, you know, everything that we offer and give away, we want to do as a service unto Krishna as well. We're in the holiday season, the Christmas season, and um, I just want to bring this in because it's kind of interesting and fun. So in the purport of Bhagavatam, uh, Srimad Bhagavad Gita 3.13, Srila Prabhupada says, The devotees of the Supreme Lord or the persons who are in Krishna consciousness, are called santas. The santas cannot accept anything without first offering it to the supreme person. And another way to pronounce santa would be Santa, as in Santa Claus. And when we think of Santa Claus, we think of Christmas, we think of gifts, you know, we think of that jolly old man giving out gifts, wearing a red suit. And... The holiday season is really about this um, gift giving and receiving. And we know that it's better to give than it is to receive. But both happens. Because if you're giving, then somebody has to be receiving. And if somebody's giving, then somebody else has to be receiving. And you may be the reciprocant. Um, and, you know, you might be the one doing the giving. In Nectar of Instruction, text 4, it says, Offering gifts and charity, accepting charitable gifts, revealing one's mind and confidence, inquiring confidentially, accepting prashad and offering prashad are the six symptoms of love shared by one devotee and another. In the purport, um, Prabhupada says, In this verse, Srila Rupa Goswami explains how to perform devotional activities in association of other devotees. There are six kinds of activities, giving charity to the devotees, accepting from the devotees whatever they may offer in return, opening one's mind to the devotees, inquiring from them about the confidential service of the Lord, honoring prashad or spiritual food given by the devotees, and feeding the devotees with prashad. So the other thing we think about Christmas, getting together, eating a big meal with family, and if we're eating this big meal um, of sanctified food, which has been offered to Krishna, then we're honoring prashadam. And um, 
if we're then feeding other devotees with this prasadam, again, those are the symptoms of um, love between devotees. So we want to make sure we're encouraging, we're fostering this feeling of love with each other. Um, and, you know, because that is the mood right now in pretty much the entire world, in the U.S. especially, of gift-giving and receiving, we can redirect that mood a little bit to be focused more on um, the important gifts that we can give. And the most important gift that we can give is Krishna, his holy name, um, his the knowledge of Krishna, prashadam, you know, sanctified food, which has been offered to Krishna. You know, that's another gift that we can give. And these are the most important gifts because this is also known as the season of joy. And who is more joyful than Krishna? Who has more, um, who can bring more happiness and pleasure to the world than Krishna? No one. So in order for us to be the best Santas that we can be, or the best Santas that we can be, and give the best gifts we can give, we have to practice devotional service ourselves. In Chaitanya Charitamrita Adilila 320, Krishna says, I shall accept the role of a devotee, and I shall teach devotional service by practicing it myself. In 321, he goes on to say, unless one practices devotional service himself, he cannot teach it to others. This conclusion is indeed confirmed throughout the Gita and Bhagavatam. So this is really important, is that in order to give Krishna consciousness, we have to be Krishna conscious. We have to be practicing Krishna consciousness. And what are the things that we do to um, foster our own Krishna consciousness is chanting japa with full attention, taking care to avoid the ten offenses, um, congregational chanting, you know, chanting the holy names in association with each other in the call and response mood, following the four regulative principles, associating with devotees, honoring prashadam or sanctified food, reading Prabhupada's books, Prabhupada's books are translations of Vyasadeva's, um, you know, essence, right? He took time to then write the Srimad Bhagavatam, and Prabhupada took the time to translate this for us. So to honor both Vyasadeva and Srila Prabhupada, it's important that we read Prabhupada's books every single day. And we want to engage in service to Krishna. And the thing is, all of these things are engaging in service to Krishna. When we do all of these things, our mindset is is focused and geared towards thinking about Krishna all the time. So that his verse from before, whatever we offer, whatever we do, do it as an offering unto him. It becomes easier to do it that way if we're doing all these other things. You know, if we're reading about Krishna, if we're chanting his names, if we're um, talking about Krishna to other devotees, um, we're, in a way, honoring prasadam is a way of, like, eating Krishna. It's it's a weird way of saying it. But, you know, eating food that has been offered to Krishna. That all of these things are just different ways that we are surrounding ourselves with Krishna so that we can always think about him. Um... At all times. And, you know, because we're talking about Vyasadeva, I'm going to stress the importance of reading 
the books. It's so important. And I know I say this almost every class, and it's probably because I need to hear it. But one of the realizations that I had since the last time I talked about reading every day is in addition to reading for 15 minutes, um, I also listen to a lecture by my Guru Maharaj every day. And in most of his lectures, he states a minimum of one hour of reading Srimad Bhagavatam and Prabhupada's books every single day. So I'm doing 15 minutes of reading, but I'm also doing another you know, hour or so of listening about and hearing about the Bhagavatam. So for right now, that's going to be my reading an hour a day per my Guru Maharaj's instructions. And hopefully I can increase that. Um, it's not that I don't have the time. It's more the focus. Um, even after, like, towards the end of 15 minutes, I start to feel like, what am I reading? And I have to remind myself, I just have a few more minutes. And so um, to read for an hour of that, it, it takes a lot more focus and concentration. And I'm building myself up to that. Because, you know... My mind especially is all over the place and it's, it's easy to be with the constant, um, bombardment of information that we have with text messaging and Facebook and Messenger and, and phone calls and TV and, and all these other things that we are feeding our mind with, um, that dictate what we think about. Um, it's basically all junk food, right? It, in the, when we talk about the health of the body, the body has certain foods that it requires for proper nutrition. Vegetables, fruits, whole grains, uh, lentils, beans, nuts, and seeds. And yet we tend to feed it processed grains and sweets and sugary foods. And most of us, you know, don't eat a lot of vegetables throughout the day. Um, and so what we end up eating is a lot of junk food. Food that has no nutritious value may taste good to the tongue. It may have some sense gratification for the tongue, but it doesn't really help nourish the body. And it's the same thing that we're doing with our minds. Um, at least I know I can say from personal experience, I know that that's what I'm doing with my mind, is you know instead of nourishing it with the nutrition it needs with the Srimad Bhagavatam and the Bhagavad Gita and the Chaitanya Charitamrita and all the other books that Prabhupada has translated and written, like Nectar of Devotion, Nectar of Instruction, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I do a lot of Facebook and I watch a lot of TV and I um, have all these other, you know, information that's I'm feeding my mind, which is all basically junk food. And especially when it comes to like TV and Facebook, I mean, that's pure like sense gratification. It doesn't, you know, there are some things that I can say like, you know, I can probably do some mental gymnastics and be like, well, you know, Facebook, I get to keep in touch with um, friends and devotees. And, you know, there is small part parts of that, but a lot of it, if I'm honest with myself, that's probably maybe like 10% of what I get out of Facebook. The same thing with TV, you know, keeping up with everyday culture helps me, you know, talk to and relate to people, but probably that can be about 10% of the entire thing of what I do with watching TV. 
So you know, these are the kinds of things that I feel are, are important for me to remember, and I think that maybe if I'm struggling with something like this, other people may be too. And so um, I guess I bring it up often because I need to hear it. Read Prabhupada's books every single day. All right. Um, what questions do you have for me? I know there's nobody here in the temple room, but if somebody is around and wants to ask a question...